Let's go to the book of Titus and just read the word of God and see what the Lord is communicating to us. Titus chapter 1. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging or acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life which God who cannot lie promised before time began but has in due time manifested his word through preaching which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. One long sentence sentence that would be too long for most people to follow but we have the luxury of not just hearing it but pausing and being able to read it so that we can understand what God is saying and sometimes the other version may help to break it down so let's go to the NLT this letter is from Paul a slave of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. I have been sent to proclaim faith to those God has chosen and to teach them to know the truth that shows them how to live godly lives. Nothing greater than this. To be sent by God to proclaim faith What faith? The faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, the only faith that can save. To those God has chosen, how did he, how does he choose? Or how are the people chosen? Many are called, but few are chosen. They're chosen when they prove themselves worthy of the gift. Worthy of the gift. Gift is free. It was offered equal opportunity to all but the ones who take the gift in an honorable way and avail themselves of the gift and not fail of the grace of God, those people are the chosen ones. And the faith has been proclaimed to be taught to these people who God has chosen to teach them To know the truth that shows them how to live godly lives. So the truth is not some cold set of facts about the universe and the origin and the history and the tenets of our faith, basic principles and the dogma and the rituals. But the truth is given to make people like God. That's why we have the Word of God. The whole purpose of God's truth is to make us like Him. It has the capacity to change us. Verse 2, this truth gives them confidence that they have eternal life, which God who does not lie 
promised them before the world began. The truth assures us. That's why the devil wants us to run away from truth. Because the truth consoles us. The truth gives us confidence that I know. Because the truth is revelation. God is revealing that I can know that I belong to him. The devil cannot lie to me and deceive me. So long as I believe the truth and walk in it. And now, at just the right time, he has revealed this message, which we announce to everyone. It is by the command of God our Savior that I have been entrusted with this work for him. What a glorious introduction to Titus, be one of the men God would entrust through the Apostle Paul to carry the message of the gospel, just like Paul did. What a grand, noble calling. There's nothing greater than to be called to evangelize, than to be called to teach. We saw in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, in the light training school, that it's not just to tell them Jesus loves you and see if you can get baptized, but to teach them to observe all that God has given, all the commandments. So the truth coming into a person's life must continue to work in that person. As they get the truth, they submit. As they get the truth, they submit. Every revelation demands obedience. And when we obey, our confidence in God grows. Our faith grows. Our calling is made sure, as is written in First Peter. Our calling is made sure. And we know that we are part of the elect. How? Because we are walking in the truth. That's Second Peter. Second Peter 1. That if you follow this way, then you'll be building on the virtues that are inherently embedded in the salvation package. It's a grand gift to be unfolded, to be learned, to be absorbed, and then the transformation happens. Any point, at any given point, when the truth of God, which equals revelation and transformation to the one who receives it, receives it, at any point when that truth is rejected, at that point, then and there, growth stops. And the potential is there for backsliding, actually. The person has already turned the steps toward backsliding. But anytime God speaks, we begin to condition ourselves as a student to the teacher. The teacher teaches, I listen and I do. The moment the student thinks he or she is a teacher and has the option to pick and choose the instruction, they stop learning, they stop growing, and then they're failing. It's important to understand that the gospel is so precious and so powerful, so holy, that I am absolutely in awe that God would choose me, that God would choose us to be heralds, to be messengers, to carry the message as they did in ancient times. They would carry that letter, that scroll, and they would run for miles. <clears throat> as we know, the origin of the marathon. 
these young men would be trained. They would run for miles and miles. And sometimes they'll collapse and sometimes they'll die. But the message was so important that they'd be willing to give their lives to pass the baton. So the next person can continue the relay to do what? To carry a human message to some human governor or some noble. Even if it's from the emperor Caesar. What does it compare to the message God has entrusted to us? It really gives us a tremendous appreciation for the holiness of the message. And in understanding the holiness and the grandeur of the message of the gospel. To the person who really understands, it makes us shake. It makes us tremble, just like Paul. I better hold this gospel exactly the way God has given it to me. I don't need to add anything to it or take anything away. I'll be guilty of being a liar and a deceiver. But along with the message as we taught in the evangelism classes, the vessel is very important. I must be holy. I must be submitted to the message. I can't go tell people Jesus loves you, Jesus saves you. The devil may be asking through them. But I see he didn't save you. Oh, yes, he did. Didn't you know I went to the altar that day and I've been working for God ever since. I love God and he loves me. But why are you serving the devil? Why are you adopting habits and attitudes that are not of God? It's from Satan. If he can't save you from that, why are you telling me about your Savior? God doesn't ask us to be absolutely perfect. He doesn't ask us to be absolutely, and that's the operative word, perfect. But he asks us to be honest and obedient. Paul understands all of this. You know, when we read the word of God, it has to be practically relevant. I know there are tons and tons of literature and courses and they go to every single letter and it becomes a big treatise and a, and a written documentation of where Paul came from and what he did and what he ate and how the people might have received him. We're interested in what God wrote through Paul first and foremost. And the reason is, it'll change me, it'll change you. Because Paul was a very good example. So notice how he presents the word of God to a man who would be a young pastor. Notice, he doesn't say, Titus, this is Paul. You know, I've been around the block about 40 years. And um, I want you to give you, I want to give you the ins and outs of ministry, okay? So you're going to have this kind of people come knocking at your door and that kind of people. And this is what you tell them. Now let's move on to ministry finances. So this is how you do the budget, Titus. And Titus, I want to get you acquainted with uh, cultural relevancy. And I want you to learn all about the culture around you and you want to be a, a smart guy, smart aleck. You want to be always one up on the people. So make sure you shine brilliantly, teeth are clean, white, glistening, and you uh, speak just the right way to keep them under your thumb, okay? And that's how you lead a congregation, Titus. Notice how Paul says, this letter is from 
Paul. A slave of God. So the first thing in this document and letter that would become the part, a part of the eternal word of God. The first thing he says, Paulos, Paul, a servant, dolos or dulos, a slave of God. That's where you begin. A minister, after all, is a servant. People love servanthood and talking about servant leadership, supposed to wash each other's feet and do all of this. And first of all, as believers, do we understand what servant means? Slave, that's what it means. I'm a slave and I'm a willing slave. Paul, in other epistles, he said, I'm a prisoner. I'm happy. Ever see a prisoner who's just beaming from behind bars? Who's mentally sane? Are you acting? Is this a drama? Are you not together upstairs? Or is there something else going on? That prisoner that understands like Paul, I'm a servant of the living God. He's forgiven me of all my sins. Is every right to act like he believes, which is the freest person on the face of the earth. Because of the truth that set him free. And this is how we read the scriptures. When we read the scriptures, we need not only to learn the content as far as explicit doctrinal statements or explicit commandments, but also the way that the Spirit of God is working through the human being and how the human being disappears and dissolves in the Savior. Paul, a servant of God, and an apostle, I'm a messenger, I'm sent by Jesus Christ according to the faith of God's elect. And the whole message is about godliness. How often have you heard evangelists, teachers, pastors, faith-based institutional leaders talk about godliness, holiness, the very character of God whom they claim to serve? No wonder there's so much tragedy and so much sin. The very places where they put the advertisements and the banners and the flyers that we're free, yet they're in prison to sin. The message must transform the person to become godly and holy. Otherwise, the message either is impotent or the messenger is a distorter of the truth, a distorter of the pure doctrine. The third possibility is that the message is all potent. It's omnipotent. The word is omnipotent because the word is God. In the beginning was the word, the logos, and the word was 
with God. And the word was God. This is the word we proclaim to you. Jesus Christ, the word of God, is written in Revelation. So the word that God gives us changes us. And if it doesn't, option A has to be ruled out because it's the word of God. It can't lie and it will. Everywhere it goes, it'll destroy error and lies and free people who are worthy, who make themselves among the chosen. And we spoke about how a person can be chosen. Option two is the person has distorted the message. Is actually an enemy sowing weeds. But if the messenger is true and the message is true, the message is omnipotent and the messenger clothed with the spirit is also a carrier of the omnipotent message without dilution. Then it must be the third option, which is the recipient, the hearer, is corrupt and insists on remaining corrupt even after the message of grace has come. Paul is dealing with that as he's writing to Titus. This letter is from Paul, a slave of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. I have been sent to proclaim faith to those God has chosen and to teach them to know the truth that shows them how to live. Somebody finish that from the NLT. How to live? Godly life. Godly lives. It's the reason God saved me and saved you. All of us. Our lives must be godly. But what is godliness? We have definitions in the word of God. We know all about it in this church. And the standard seems to be too high. For most places. To the point where they say, well, your brand of godliness sounds like legalism. Because you can't go to the movies, you can't drink alcohol, you can't do... Wait a minute. Who said you can't go to the movies? I don't see a scripture that says thou should not check out Hollywood at least once a month. We understand. The Holy Spirit shows us what things will decay within us if we give room for them. They will not only not promote godliness, they will actually cause a person to become ungodly. Who says you can't drink alcohol? The scriptures talk about them. Very explicitly. So that means, on the first point, obviously there was no motion picture back then, Bible times, but it comes under the categories of carousing. Going around, looking for some fun, which amounts to dissipation, or wasting time, money, in the life for amusement. And that too, amusement that will harm a person's soul and often the body, relationships and mind and corrupt them. So it's easy to see how the principle of scripture apply to our generation. As far as alcohol, explicit statements are there. How wine is a mocker, strong drink, a brawler, 
person's not wise if he's mastered by them. What it does to the mind, the body, and how certain people in the Old Testament, the class of priesthood, they're cautioned against that. And we are kingdom of priests. Many, many things we've learned. Godly lives. We have a, a good picture of what godliness looks like. Now we have the choice of rebelling against that and saying, well, it's legalism and joining with the rest of the crowd or saying, wait, this is actually making me more in tune with the spirit of God. After all, I'm going to spend eternity with God. I need to learn how to walk with him. That's what godliness is. This truth gives them confidence that they have eternal life. What truth? The truth that changes me from being an immoral person, ungodly person, uh, argumentative person, person who holds grudges, a person who will not forgive, a person who likes to play, play the blame game. All that ungodly garbage has to go out and become godly. Humble. Oh, the beautiful virtues of Christ's character embodied in the fruit of the Spirit. We have a goal. It's an exciting goal to become like Jesus. This truth gives them confidence that they have eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised them before the world began. Now, because God promised, we all know from the messages we've heard from the Spirit of God to this church, the promise of God means nothing to the one who breaks the covenant. That's what they're saying when they break the covenant. Your promise doesn't matter. I don't care. I don't care what you have in store for me. I'll do what I want. It's a quick fix. Cheap thrill. Loss of all that is good from God. But if we believe the promise and we're transformed to be godly, every word that God said will come to pass no matter how dark it looks, how opposite the devil says the situation is, or even our track record in the past, all under the blood. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And now, at just the right time, he has revealed this message which we announce to everyone. Can you see yourself in what Paul is writing? I've been born again. You've been born again. Are you excited to announce the message to everyone? Imagine calling somebody, I'm going to have a baby. A wife that perhaps is the first child. How excited for every child, but particularly the first child. Can't wait to announce it to my mom and dad, to my in-laws, to my brother, my sister, my aunt, my cousin, my friends, my co-workers. I'm going to tell everyone. We're having a baby. It's exciting. Just got a promotion. I'm going to tell everyone. Someone else waiting for a house to move into for a long time. Saving and saving and saving and checking the markets and scouting the area and checking the gurus as far as real estate is concerned and all of that stuff in maybe a couple of decades. Finally, we're going to move in to the house, the dream house. Finally, next big life event. Glad tidings. Excited at just the right time. 
nothing can compare to the announcement of God that he loves people, does not want them to perish, but wants to give them everlasting life through Jesus Christ. Are we excited like Paul? I read some of the essays on evangelism in assignment three. It's very, very gladdening to read and some really went deep. A number of the ones, I should say, among the number that I read, at least two or three wrote about hearing the testimonies of brothers and sisters regarding evangelism, how greatly it strengthened them. They mentioned the names. So nice to read. How God is depositing the excitement in some of the brothers and sisters. And then it's getting contagious. So this is why I'm alive. I'm alive to broadcast the message of Jesus Christ everywhere I go. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth on him should not perish. They can actually have everlasting life. It is by the command of God, our Savior, that I have been entrusted. It's a trust with this work for him. Everyone is called to evangelize. I'm writing to Titus, my true son, in the faith that we share. May God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior, give you grace equals not only favor and blessing, it equals power. It is an impartation. He's not just writing a nice sentence that he likes to put his stamp on every letter. Grace and peace, mercy and love. There's power through the word of God. May God the Father and Jesus Christ, so Christ Jesus our Savior, Messiah, Yeshua, our Savior, give you Grace and peace can be shaken. I left you on the... Now I was getting to business here. Uh, Titus, I left you on the island of Crete so you could complete our work there. You know how many people complain? Oh, Paul, it's getting so hard. After all, I'm a woman or I'm a man. I'm inexperienced and... You know, it's a jungle out here, Paul. Physically, I have to use a machete to cut through all of these thick trees. And when I get there, I'm sweating and I have to walk through swamps infested with mosquitoes. I got stung by a jellyfish and my foot is swollen. And when I make it to the people I'm supposed to give the message to, they want to have me for dinner, these cannibals. Get me out of here, please, Paul. Why didn't you choose that nice resort area, that little villa over there by Venice? Why Crete, Paul? Paul must not like me. It's hard, Paul. God is getting harder. I want to bail out. When is the next ship coming? SOS, please. Mayday, help me. I want to evangelize in kindergarten, please. I know I'm way too old for kindergarten, but it's so nice. I can do my five minutes there and put it down. I evangelize today. 
Paul was a real man of God and he's training real men of God. And you know, the situations are essentially the same. All they that will be godly in Christ Jesus, he would write to Timothy, will suffer persecution. Not just get some hate mails, but it's going to hurt, suffer. There shines the gospel. Do you really believe what you're talking about or is it hot air? Have you really surrendered to the message or are you trying to make me surrender when you haven't? I left you. No, praise God, Titus was not like that. You see what we can read here? It's not reading into something of our own imagination. This is truth. I left you on the island of Crete so you could complete our work there and appoint elders in each town as I instructed you. What a tremendous privilege and calling for Titus. To be appointed by the apostle, the premier apostle Paul, by the Holy Spirit. To be able to appoint elders. That means Titus was not just a man with street smarts. is a man filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul could entrust him. How vastly different from today's churches. You know, they even have sitcoms, right, years ago. And even now, perhaps. Deacon so-and-so, and the pastor this, and the church, and it's a laughing stock. It's just like little puppets riding, running around with titles. It's a very high calling to be an elder. To be a deacon. Or a deaconess. Look at the quality of work here. The responsibility. I left you on this island. And he would say, what kind of people live on the island? Titus, mission must be accomplished. An elder must live a blameless life. How many elders do you think this job description would rule out today. In the vast amount of churches, particularly in the United States. If somebody should say, well, how could you judge people? I mean, you don't know them. Have you lived with them? Have you talked with them? Well, you can see the people around them. You can tell. Because the elder, just like a deacon or a deaconess, along with the pastor, the bishop, whoever it is, they're supposed to be agents of transformation by virtue of them walking day and night in close fellowship with the living God. Like yeast, as the Lord told in the parable, it's bound to have an effect. Those who don't want it, they won't be there anymore. Sooner or later, they will ship out. But those who remain, they'll be transformed. Hallelujah. An elder must live a blameless life. He must be faithful to his wife. And his children must be believers who don't have a reputation for being wild or rebellious. I know right away quite a number of people on social media who are 
elders, including pastors, and other offices and churches, right away, they would not be given a position by Paul, by the Holy Spirit, or by Titus. But how does it happen today? Because the word is not the authority. It's the board. It's charisma. It's my cousin who wants to be an elder. Of course he can be an elder. It's the guy who gives me free wine. It's my neighbor. It's my boss. He wants to come to my church. Those are working secular jobs on the side. An elder must have his children in subjection, meaning they don't have a reputation for being wild and rebellious. An elder is a manager of God's household. We will have elders. I've said this before. In this church, God will bring forth and call forth men and women who will be in positions of assistance to the pastors for the work of the ministry of God. There's nothing more exciting, nothing more fulfilling, nothing more rewarding. It's a high calling. However, we're waiting on the Lord for him, first of all, to qualify, show us. Secondly, for his time. An elder is a manager of God's household, so he must live a blameless life. A blameless life? A blameless life. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered. He must not be a heavy drinker. From the rest of Scripture, we can see this is not an advocation by any means for any bit of alcohol, which even at the slightest amount, I believe Prashant has, had shared an article from a British medical source some time back that they've said not even a moderation they said any amount any amount contrary to popular opinion any amount of alcohol will begin to deteriorate the brain deteriorate the brain the body it's a matter of time but why it's like a person saying I'm going to ingest all the aluminum, aluminum I can and uh, look, I'm still walking, I'm still breathing, I can still do my homework, I can still do a lot of stuff, I can mow the lawn. and But all of that aluminum is still in the body and is toxic. The person must not be violent or dishonest with money. Who shall abide in the tabernacle of the Lord? Who can dwell in this holy hill? The one who walks uprightly, speaks the truth in his heart and works righteousness. Lord, who shall ascend unto your holy hill? Who can be present there? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. So, what is 
the basic qualification for believers who would enter heaven is amplified all the more for those who would lead. Rather, he must enjoy having guests in his home. We know what kind of guests. We need to be careful. People don't start inviting their cousins and aunt and uncle who are serving the devil. So, oh, God said to have guests. It's talking about unselfishness when God says, I want you to sacrifice. And he must love what is good. He must love what is good. He must live wisely and be just. He must live a devout and disciplined life. Powerful. Sounds like Jesus right here. Love, wisdom, obedience. He must have a strong belief in the trustworthy message he was taught. After all of this stuff, then he will be able to encourage others with wholesome teaching and show those who oppose it where they are wrong. I'm going to go and uh, read the rest of this chapter. That'll be it. For there are many rebellious people who engage in useless talk and deceive others. We have to ask ourselves, do I engage in useless talk? And am I part of the deception anywhere? Do I entertain deception? This is especially true of those who insist on circumcision for salvation. These are people who they want to impose what they feel rather than what God said. They must be silenced. I thought you're supposed to be quiet and loving, you know, let's let them grow. And yeah, there are times when God says, let them grow. At the end, I'll separate the weeds. But there are other times when God says, shut the mouth. You need to stop the, this talk. Why? Because it's going to corrupt the church. They must be silenced because they are turning whole families away from the truth by their false teaching. Look at that. Family by family. And they do it only for money. Some kind of self-gain involved. Even one of their own men, a prophet from Crete, has said about them, the people of Crete are all liars, cruel animals, and lazy gluttons. Wow, what an indictment. What an, what a phrase. What a sentence. Paul said, Titus, the kind of people you're laboring among, let me tell it to you in the words of one of their own people. Okay? Somebody who observed his own people in Crete. Liars, cruel animals, lazy gluttons. I wonder if Titus would have asked for a change of assignment. I thought liars was bad enough. Can't trust them because they lie all the time. All the time lie. All the time lie. It's like a cultural trait. Everybody lies to everybody. Everything's everything. Cruel animals. What? Beasts. Vicious. Angry. They want to fight. They want to tear. Boy, that isn't enough. Lazy gluttons. You tell me about the new law. The promise to give me a bailout. 
I sit home and have a jolly old time. Lazy, not just lazy, gluttons. This is true. Paul said they weren't lying when they said that. Whoever said that was not lying. He's an exception in Crete. For one, somebody told the truth on that island. Because that man stood up and said, my people, my people, my people. All of you are liars. You're cruel animals and you're lazy gluttons. Paul said you said that right. Titus, don't keep quiet. Reprimand them sternly to make them strong in the faith. Do not let it continue. Another thing, they must stop listening to Jewish myths. People come to corrupt their own version of the gospel and the commands of people who have turned away from the truth. Since when do you listen to somebody who turned away from the truth? We need to be careful who we entertain. Isn't it good to follow somebody who's really following the Lord? Or would you go to somebody who's not? Say, let me hear your opinion. The spell will come on you from the devil right then and there. Everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure. But nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving. Because their minds and consciences are corrupted. As we conclude here, verse 16. Such people claim they know God. But they deny him by the way they live. They are detestable, disobedient, and worthless for doing anything good. Aren't you glad to have the word of God? How it just tears away mask after mask after mask. And that not only helps us to diagnose ourselves, to see, do I have any of these qualities, honestly? Honestly, before God, can I put it under the rug or do I have to deal with it? Once I deal with it and I change and say, I cannot lie, I cannot pretend, I can't be unbelieving, I can't be corrupt, I can't defy my conscience. Yeah, a lot of things I cannot do to make me free. Then I can tell other people and I can do what? be able to become a leader appointed not by man but by God to be faithful to the trustworthy message to stand up and tell people stop it stop it imagine a pastor standing up to the congregation stop lying stop it don't be lazy stop it Don't be a glutton. Stop it. Don't be ferocious on the inside. Cold-hearted. Stop it. Well, that's part of the task of a true shepherd and leader. But that necessitates that the preacher is following the same truth. Walking in holiness. Praise be to God. Thank you, Lord, for your truth. Thank you, Lord, for your loving kindness. And thank you, Lord, for taking us this evening to Titus chapter 1. Lord, to really let the word of God tear down everything that we may be holding and harboring in our home, in our heart. Hearts, Lord, our homes. That is still contrary to you, Lord. It's not your way at all. 
Help us not to be rebellious in any way, Lord, or be lazy or deceive or entertain lies. Help us not to associate with people. Oh, Jesus, as you said in the book of Corinthians through the Apostle Paul, again by the Holy Spirit, if anybody's immoral and calls himself a brother, don't even sit and eat with that person. Love protects us and helps us to speak the truth to the one who's deceived so they also can repent, not be self-deluded and deceived and destroyed in the end. Thank you, Lord, for your admonitions, your warnings. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for the eternal life, the trustworthy message that we can be godly, but only if we get rid of and tear down what is ungodly. Thank you, Jesus for continuing to clean the house of God. Lord, the word of God becomes the whip that you held in your hand. To get rid of evil so the people may be spared. But if people hold on to evil, they cannot stay in the temple. You said that, Lord, because you're holy. And I pray, Lord, that the fear of God would continue to work in everyone in this church, everyone, so that the kingdom of God kingdom of God can be built. I thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for truth. Oh, Father, one thing I ask more than anything, that everyone in this church would speak the truth. Especially in a place like this where you're so present that the spirit of truth may train leaders not to have positions but to do the work that nobody else wants to do to pour out themselves so others can be rescued no matter what it costs just like you Lord thank you Lord in Jesus precious name Amen